0: This morning, we are beginning a journey through the book of Acts. Uh, so I already messed up the preaching schedule last week. So if you have the preaching schedule in your, uh, you know, in your Bible or somewhere, just push everything back by a week. And if you're one of the other preachers on this schedule and you're thinking, wait, am I preaching a week later than I'm... No. I got penalized, I, I lose an Advent sermon. That's, uh, that was the, the deal that was struck. So everything gets pushed back a week, and then I get cut one week uh, for my transgressions last week. <laughs> so we start uh, our journey through the book of Acts this morning, and there might be some in this room right now who are saying, uh, yeah, didn't we uh, just go through the book of Acts as a church? And if you're thinking that, congratulations, you are correct. We did 13 years ago uh, (laughs) do a sermon series through the book of Acts. I'm taking my chances uh, that uh, for many of you, you will not remember those sermons, uh, nor uh, exactly who preached those sermons. One of the main preachers is not here anymore. Uh, So anyway... Uh, if, if it is that you remember all of them, this will have to serve as a review, and we can never hear enough of the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The book of Acts was written by, kids, do you know who wrote the book of Acts? Who wrote? Mr. Acts? Luke! Luke! I heard it. The book of Acts was written by Luke, what other book did Luke write in the Bible? Luke, that's right. This is, as we're going to see in today's passage, clearly a continuation of the gospel of Luke. It is addressed to the same person, Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Well, there's a lot of debate that's occurred around this topic. I'm not going to spend much time on it. Whether it was even a real person or representative of a group of people, given that the name Theophilus means beloved of God. Uh, But most commentators that I've studied land on that this is a real person. Theophilus would have been a fairly common name at that time. And and that it is probably a Roman or Greek person of status whom Luke is trying to persuade or encourage about the true faith. The book of Luke, as Luke writes here in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, if you're open into it, uh, if you have one of the Bibles that's in the chairs, it's page 909, Uh, but in in Acts chapter 1.1, we're going to read 1.1 through 11 in a few minutes, but in 1.1, Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. I think that's an amazing introduction to the book of Acts. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. What does that imply, that word began? That he kept doing and teaching things after when? After he was taken up. That's pretty amazing. The book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach after he was taken up, what the Holy Spirit did after Jesus was taken up, what God the Father did after Jesus was taken up. We rejoice in that today, that Jesus is still. Acts was written about 1,900 years ago, something like that, 2,000 years ago almost. And still, to this very day, in this very gathering, Jesus is building His church. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel, hearts are being transformed, the church is being built, and Jesus continues to work. The book of Acts traces the spread of the gospel and the building of the church. It starts where? What city do they start in? Jerusalem, and ends in what city? Do you know? Go ahead. What city does the book of Acts end in? Rome. Praise God that it did not stop in Rome. This book serves as a reminder of who builds the church, how the church is built, and what we are to be focused on as the people of God. This morning's passage, in many ways, encapsulates the whole book of Acts, and many of the themes in this passage are going to be touched on in greater depth uh, as we go on, so lightly today and then in greater depth later. We're going to look at Acts 1, 1 through 11, and this morning we're going to consider the mission that is given and the tools for the mission, the mission that's given and the tools for the mission, so let's read. You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is without error, perfect in every way. And so, Father, I pray that I would be found faithful in proclaiming your word, led by your spirit, saying only the things that, that will be beneficial for your glory, for the building up of the body. And I pray, Father, that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed, that our hearts would be transformed. That the hope of Christ would be offered to all who are here. And that you would work in a mighty way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things. We're considering the mission given and the tools for the mission. So we're going to start in the middle of the passage, actually, to talk about the mission that is given to the eleven and beyond. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, he had been with them At various times over the course of 40 days, we're going to get back to that. He had spoken to them about the kingdom of God. He had told them not to leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, had come upon them. And in verse 6, they're all together. I take this to mean Jesus and the 11 remaining apostles. And the disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And we know from the Gospels that the general Jewish understanding of what would happen when the Messiah came was that he would be a conquering earthly king, that he would bring about the restoration of Israel as a global power, that he would usher in times of everlasting joy for Israel as he ruled and reigned. we know that the twelve had been eager for this day, sometimes even aspiring to lofty positions for themselves. And it's easy for us, with the perspective of hindsight, to say, like, these guys are always getting it wrong, aren't they? Like every time the disciples, they, nope, no, you didn't understand, no, you got it wrong again. Did, did it, nope, you didn't understand. But their, their question, they ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? It's a reasonable question, right? They're standing there talking to a guy who 40 days ago. Was dead he was dead and now he's not dead and so everything he said about himself everything they had believed in part though not fully understanding it came true he was right so therefore it makes some logical sense in their minds what else is left to do right now's the time Time for the king to take his throne and be exalted on the earth. Now is the time for the eternal reign to begin. And they were kind of right. Now was the time for Jesus' earthly reign to begin, but not in the way that they imagined. He was going to build his kingdom, a kingdom that included not just Israel, but people from the ends of the earth. And he was going to use these 11 guys and some others to build it. I mean, who were the most unlikely candidates to be the one, right? These guys. He was going to rule and reign by conquering wicked hearts and turning them into worshipers of God. And these 11 would be at the forefront. The chosen means of making it happen. Their mission was not for them to figure out when the kingdom would be consummated, right? That's what Jesus says to them here. It's not for you. Not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. That's under God's authority. You don't need to be concerned about that. 11. But when the Holy Spirit had come upon them They were called to be, this is the mission, they were called to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Their mission was to be His witnesses. The word witness is a really big theme in the book of Acts. You're going to see that word multiple times as we go through the book of Acts. And here in this passage, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, what's he saying? Well, I I think a couple things. Two phrases I I sum it up in. Who gives them the authority? So he's saying, you'll be my witnesses. I'm sending you. Remember in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, what does Jesus say before he tells them what they're going to do? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, not me, Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus is saying, you're my witnesses. I'm the one sending you. And who they're supposed to talk about when they go and witness. What's a witness do? What's a witness supposed to do? Testify on behalf of someone. Who are they testifying on behalf of? Jesus. Are they going to go talk about how great they are? Are they going to go tell people all that they've accomplished? No. He's saying, see what just happened? Go tell people about it. Tell them, tell them what that means. So you see how I was dead? And I'm not dead anymore? And wait Do wait you see what's about to happen in the next few verses? Go tell people that. And tell them that 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 means that I am the promised Messiah. And tell them that that means not just that I'm going to take over some earthly throne, but that I have come to conquer the most wicked enemy, sin and death. Tell people that through faith in me, they can have the hope of eternal life. That just as I was raised from the dead, they too can be raised from the dead and given the hope of eternal life. Tell them what you saw. That's the call. That's the mission they're given. We have, you know, the word witnessing has all kinds of baggage attached to it, right? Some people think, ah, oh, witnessing, i got to like, like, you know, bang down somebody's door and, and walk in. And Witnessing means, tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've experienced. What Jesus has done Objectively and for you. Be his witnesses. Jesus is telling them, don't be consumed by the timing of the consummation of the kingdom when he will make all things new. Understand that he is still building his kingdom. Work remains. Jesus himself told them this. Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed where? throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come that's what he said so you do what i've called you to do the lord will take care of the timing of the ending you be faithful to the mission the message they would bring is the hope of the world we are here today. Are you here today believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Has, has he worked in your heart? We are here today because somebody brought this message to us. Is that right? Whether they brought us to church to hear the message, whether they gave us the Bible and we read it and heard the message, we are here today believing in Christ because somebody brought this message to us. And we can trace our spiritual lineage all the way back to this very moment in church history. These 11 guys are the epicenter. Of course, we know it's not them. But have you ever thought about that? Your spiritual heritage goes all the way back to this moment. And the calling is still on us today. The mission that was given to them is given to us, brothers and sisters, Be his witnesses. Bring the message. Carry on the lineage. Because it is in the message. I'm getting ahead of myself. But in the message is the power for salvation. Right? We are to tell people. What hope do people have apart from Jesus? Eternally none. But we carry the words of life. One of the commentators I read in preparation for this uh, message, remarked about how similar it's been throughout church history, where people can get more consumed by figuring out the times and the seasons, more wrapped up in when all this is going to come to a conclusion, and forget the reason that we're still here. You know, we get, when is it? You know, every generation has their prophets of this is the time. I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen. I'll give you the date. Even though Jesus says... Not to do this. We're going to do it because I think we're sure of it this time. Over and over and over and we lose sight of the mission to be gospel witnesses inside and outside the walls of the church. We are beyond at this point what the 11 would have considered to be the ends of the earth, right? I believe that the the way the book of Acts is written is, that, is showing it went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Rome would have been the epicenter of the world at that time. If you get to Rome, if the gospel gets to Rome, it can get everywhere. And we are still getting there. There is still groups of people untouched by a gospel witness in this world. And it's urgent. We don't just say like, oh, well, hey, if they don't hear it, they don't hear it. No big deal. Romans chapter 1 tells us that all are, are guilty before God because they see what he has made and they reject him and they make their own gods of their own images or birds and animals and other things and worship that instead of worshiping the one true God. They will stand guilty before God. They need the hope of the gospel and we are called to bring it. The mission that these men were given, and women, uh, you'll see next week's passage, was, was one that Israel had also been given, but failed to fulfill. In Abraham, all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. If you get a chance this week, read Isaiah chapter 42 to 49. Look at the Lord's heart for the nations and His call to His people Israel to be the light of the world. But where they failed, Jesus would triumph. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the offspring of Abraham in whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. Remarkably, he was going to use these 11 along with many other fragile jars of clay to accomplish his goal. They had their marching orders. But they, we also see in this passage the tools that he gives them to carry out the marching orders. Because when I say like, Go be his witnesses. We have work to do. We do. We do. But how many people have I saved in my life? Zero, that's correct. Zero. How many of you saved? Zero. We are vessels. Apart from the grace of God, we can do nothing. His power is the power that saves. And so He he will send them on their way with tools for the mission. I see five of them in this passage. The Lord delights to use the foolish things of this world so that all glory and praise might be to Him and Him alone. And I'm just going to briefly touch on these tools. There's two of them I'll hit a little harder. But but we'll talk about all of them as we go through Acts. First I see in verse 3 something that Maybe we in the church take for granted the resurrected Jesus. Okay, this is tool number one. Luke labors in, in the book of Luke to show, you know, he talks about Jesus' resurrection, he talks about Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus presenting himself to the disciples, and he talks about Jesus ascending. But in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, He he gives us a little more insight into the resurrection of Jesus. He tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples over 40 days, giving them commands through the Holy Spirit and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Luke uses this phrase, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Okay, so this wasn't just a a one-time appearance, right? This wasn't a, like, all right, that that might have just been a guy that looks like Jesus, right? I think I saw him, like, he he was about 100 yards away from me. Everybody was telling me it was Jesus. That was it. Forty days. Many convincing proofs. Yes, these disciples had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They had seen him raise a sick little girl from the dead. They had seen him raise an only son from the dead. So they had some context for resurrection. But still, who rises from the dead? Who does this? So he labored to show them that it was really him over the course of 40 days. The fact that it was really him is the basis for everything else that would take place. Do you know and understand that, brothers and sisters? If Jesus was not really raised from the dead, everything we do here is wrong. If you're here visiting with us, I I just want to be blatant in saying that if Jesus isn't really raised from the dead, this gathering is worthless. It's worthless. Everything is wrong. We don't come here to participate in some good moral teaching because if Jesus isn't alive, then he and or his disciples are some of the most awful people ever. It's not good moral teaching because they've perpetrated a terrible lie if Jesus isn't alive. People lay down their lives for this truth every day. So if this is a lie, if this is not true, it's it's not good moral teaching, it's wickedness of the highest degree. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 19. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is good and moral, futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're fine because it was good moral teaching. They've perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, That's good because we got good moral teaching. We are above all people, of all people, most to be pitied. Because we wasted our life on a lie. No resurrection equals no hope, no salvation, and a pitiful life for those who have bought into this lie. But what comes next? What does the Apostle Paul say after that? But in fact, fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus was and is alive, and he wanted to make sure they knew it. Their mission was going to be a hard mission. They were going to have to take up their crosses and follow him. They were going to need to remember that they saw him alive after he was dead. And therefore, they could have the same hope even if being his witnesses meant that they would die for it. And they would. When James is about to be killed, what might strengthen his heart to not turn around and say, no, wait, wait, this is all a lie. It's all a lie. Don't kill me. What strengthened him? I saw him. He was dead, and then he was alive. And if he could do that, he can do that for me too. And so now I can say to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because he's alive, and I'll be alive too. And they can't take anything from me by taking my life. They can only serve me. Because Jesus lived, they too would live, even if they died. Now here we are 2,000 years later. And we're so much smarter, so much wiser. We are intellectual people, shaped by the age of reason shaped in ways that we struggle to understand by a world that bombards us with the message that there is no God and everything is random, a world that tells us that we are stupid and foolish for believing what we believe. And I want to say this, I wrote down I want to say it to our kids, but our adults need to hear it too. What we believe is only foolish if it isn't true, right? It is true. It's not a fairy tale. We don't tell ourselves this story to help us go to sleep at night. It's true. Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus showed himself to over 500 people. Over 40 days, Jesus showed them by many proofs. And it won't be long before everything about these 11 guys is different than it was before. You can make the case that some people have died for lies in the history of the world. But these guys were claiming first-hand accounts of this miracle and then dying for it. These are the same guys who couldn't stay awake while Jesus was praying. These are the same guys who are running away in fear. These are the same guys who are denying that they even knew him 40 days ago. And now they're going to die for a lie? No way. The bottom line is that Jesus really is alive. It is real and it is true and we don't need to be ashamed of it. We base our hope on a living Savior. The second uh, tool that we see in this passage and I'm going to take less time on a couple of these here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5. I've got to flip back to. So if you have your Bible still on Acts 1. Jesus says, you know, he orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, some would say, you know, your book, your Bible might say as the title of this book, the Acts of the Apostles. Some would say that this book is more appropriately entitled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. That we're going to talk a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. The disciples were not to leave Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, Jesus referred to it being as being clothed with power from on high. The promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, is seen Clearly, in the Old Testament prophets, we're going to dive deeper as we go in chapter 2, in places like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, that the Lord promises to pour out His Spirit upon His people. It was central to the message of John the Baptist, which Jesus references here, that He baptized with water, but one who was coming after Him would baptize with what? I would have accepted, yeah, fire, Holy Spirit, both. Acceptable answers there. Jesus taught his disciples extensively on this subject in the upper room, right? If you read John 14, 15, 16, 17, he talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is to come, the helper who will be with them or in them. He has been with them. He will be in them. Jesus says, it's better for you if I go away. How's that possible? Because I'm going to send you one who will be in you. power for the mission would be from the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, fully God. The mission will fail if the Holy Spirit does not work. That's still true. The mission will fail if the Holy Spirit does not work. So let me ask you, this is time for give and take. In what ways in the book of Acts will the Holy Spirit help with the mission of God? What does the Holy Spirit do? Comfort, yes. What else? Courage Courage. gives them courage. Yes. What you say, Billy? The Holy Spirit regenerates, right? What else? Guides their speech. speech. Power, conviction, conviction. miracles, Miracles. produces fruit, fruit. (laughs) gives gifts, equips the saints. As Larry mentioned to us a couple weeks ago, he shines the light on Jesus, right? He magnifies Christ. He magnifies the Father and the Son. He takes what belongs to Jesus and gives it to His people. All that to say that apart from the Holy Spirit, this mission will fail. All that remains true today. We are who we are and we do what we do Anything that's of kingdom value by the Spirit's leading and empowering. Our salvation, our works, our ministry, do we have them? Do I do what I do because I'm better than somebody else? Smarter than somebody else? Am I smarter than anybody else? Okay. <laughs> you didn't have to answer, sir, but you were like, oh, no, definitely not. Stronger than anybody else? No way! He uses jars of clay to show that the surpassing greatness is from Him, not from us. Everything we have is a gift, and everything we offer comes by the power of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. We are not the Holy Spirit. We want to be the Holy Spirit sometimes. We like to try to be the Holy Spirit at times. But we are not the Holy Spirit We need the Holy Spirit magnified through the preaching of the gospel. Jesus had told his disciples, it's better. It's better that I go away. And he is in us, brothers and sisters, giving power for walking in his ways and magnifying Christ in this world. The third tool I see in this passage, so we got the resurrected Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. Third thing I see in this passage is the teaching. Jesus instructed them. He taught them so that they could go and teach others. They are going to be witnesses by teaching, telling. He told them that the Holy Spirit would bring to mind the things that He had taught them. Their witness is going to involve a message. Right? Our witness in this world Involves words. I know I've probably said this before and it's frequently quoted. I think it's what Saint Francis of Assisi uh, preach the gospel, sometimes use words. Or you, if necessary, use words. Uh, the gospel is words. It's words. Your good works do not save anybody. Your kindness does not save anybody. They're good things. Your good works are good things. Your kindness is a good thing, wonderful thing, gift to God, through the Holy Spirit, but they don't save anybody. If you were talking to your kids and, they said, and you said, are you right with the Lord? And, and they said, "Oh yeah, I'm right with the Lord. How do you know you're right with the Lord? Well, because you're a really good person, mommy and daddy. And, and so I'm, And I'm in your family. Is that enough? Would you say, oh good, that's right, you have my last name, you're safe. No. The gospel is words. Through the gospel proclaimed, hearts are changed and souls are rescued. Through a message. A message of a Savior. We'll get more into that as we go. The fourth tool I see here is the ascension of Jesus. Okay, so, I mean, we've, many of us in this room probably have read this passage a lot of times, but let, let, verse 9 through 11, let's just look at it again. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay, so we're all 12 of us standing around. Jesus says something to us and then boom, gone. I think the ascension is an under-discussed aspect of the work of Christ because of what it signifies. What does it mean that Jesus is ascending? This is not something that happens every day. Have you ever seen anybody ascend into heaven? So these people are standing there, and he ascends in the cloud. Maybe maybe our minds are brought to other places where a cloud is talked about in Scripture. Maybe on Mount Sinai or at the Transfiguration or the promise that Jesus will return on the cloud. The cloud speaks to the glory of the scene. A glory that needed to be shielded from the eyes of those who are beholding. And so in the cloud, he ascends into heaven. When Jesus ascended into heaven, did he ascend back just as God Or was he fully God and fully man when he ascended into heaven? Oh, you're trying to fool you? Did I trick you? What do you think? What's your reaction? Fully God and fully man. He ascends into heaven. Right now, there's a man in heaven. The fulfillment of what Jeff read at the beginning. So Psalm 24. Maybe it's a Psalm that has tripped you up, you read it, and you say, I think I understand what's happening here. I just want you to read Psalm 24 in the context of the ascension of Jesus. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand... In his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors. That the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart ascends the hill of the Lord. The king of glory sees the gates. The ancient doors open up to him. That's what's happening here. The ancient doors are opening up to the king of glory that he might ascend. Who can come in? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not swear deceitfully. Doesn't lift up his soul to another. Who fits that description? The king of glory. Jesus Christ. And so he, he rises and He ascends to take His place. To take His place to fulfill Psalm 110. To sit at the right hand of the Father until His enemies become a footstool for His feet. We sang it this morning. Jesus Savior risen now to reign. He takes His place as King when He ascends. He takes His throne He had defeated sin, he had defeated death, and he is seated at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. Just because we don't see it all the time, does not make it less true. And we do see it today, when hearts that are in rebellion turn to Jesus, submitting to Him as Lord of all. He also ascended fully God and fully man, To take his place as our great high priest. Read through the book of Hebrews. Read through the work of Jesus as high priest who lives to make intercession for us. There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. The success of the mission was based on a risen Ascended and reigning king, who was also the one who bore our sin and intercedes between God and man. All this in one person, the God man, Jesus. There is no hope for humanity before a holy God. Who could, if it was time for ascension, if the eleven went up there on that day, what hope would they have had of survival? None. But He went as our forerunner into the heavens to present the offering of Himself before the Father for all of eternity, that all who believe will be declared righteous in the courts of heaven, so that when it is our time, the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and given to us an eternal hope. Without Him up there pleading for us, we have no hope. And so he went to plead. It's true. <laughs> Jesus, in his, ascension, in his ascension, shows himself further to be both mighty and willing to save, to plead for us. His perfect sacrifice, eternally presented before the Father, is sufficient to secure the hope of all who believe. And fifth and final in their toolbox was this promise of Jesus' return. When Jesus departs, two men in white robes, we're going to guess they're the same two guys from Luke chapter 24, certainly to be understood as angels. Two guys stand by the, the, the disciples, right? And they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Okay. When you read that, Angels say, why do you stand looking into heaven? What's your response to that? I I mean, it's like, for real? Because there were 12 of us here a minute ago. Now there's 11. I don't know what happened. I've never seen that happen. Literally zero ascensions in my life. I don't know where this guy went. And it's similar to the question they asked at the tomb, right? They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? And the answer to that is, because he was dead yesterday. (laughs) And I don't have a track record of people who were dead yesterday being alive today. But the angels are saying, hey, guys, he told you this was going to happen. Over and over and over, he told you this was going to happen. Why are you surprised that things are happening exactly like he told you they were going to happen? Why are you surprised about that? Everything happened just like Jesus said it would. And just as those words are true, so it is also true that he will come back. Do you believe that today, church? Jesus will return and everything in our lives should be lived in accordance with that reality. Whether you believe it or not, acknowledge it or not, Jesus will return. All wrongs will be made right. All wickedness will be banished from the earth. And the greatest wickedness that we can commit while we are on the earth is to hear of the great saving love of the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ and say, I I don't want that. I don't want that. And we will have to answer to God if that has been our decision. He is coming back. The Son of God became flesh and died for us so that all who believe will be forgiven of their sins, all the ways that we have rebelled against the Holy God, all the ways that we have rejected His goodness, failed to love him and others as we are called to, such that even our best efforts fall terribly short. To hear this good news and reject it is wickedness. And all wickedness will be dealt with at Christ's return. But on the flip side, brothers and sisters, knowing that he will return brings life, joy, and strength that is needed for the apostles' mission and ours every wrong will be made right. Everything will be made right. Every trial will be made beautiful. Every deferred happiness will be fulfilled. Everything you think you missed out on, pale in comparison to the joy of knowing Jesus. Do you know this hope today, brothers and sisters? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. For the apostles and us, knowing that Jesus will return and make all things new, strengthens us to be faithful no matter what the earthly consequences. Even if we miss out, even if we suffer, joy is ours forever. We are the beloved of the King. Without any of these tools, the disciples would be lacking. But our God would supply each of their and our needs in Christ Jesus. The mission would be clear, and the one who will make it a success is the risen, ascended, and reigning King and High Priest. The same remains true today. Jesus will build His church, and the mission continues. May the King of glory receive the praise that He is due. Pray with me. We thank you, Father, that all the strength for the mission that you have given comes from you, you alone. Apart from you, we can do nothing. This is not for our glory. You are building your church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. We thank you that the church is built on the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your faithful saving love, and the hope of glory. That you have died, you have risen, and you will come again. May we rest in that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.